listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for listening to episode 279. Hey, Mark, where are we? We are at the FIS User Forum in Houston, Texas, and this is a huge group of fun people. And if you don't know who we are, we are Oil & Gas Global Network. This is Paige Wilson. I'm Mark LaCour. This is the original and the first oil and gas podcast, the longest running oil and gas podcast, the largest oil and gas podcast, and the most listened to oil and gas podcast. So love to have our audience here. Let's get into the news stories. Actually, we have a review, don't we? Oh, yeah, we do have a review. It's a five-star review. It says field experience. Hey, guys, love the podcast. I'm a Canadian citizen and have my degree in petroleum engineer from the University of Wyoming. I grew up in Calgary, and I always wanted to be a part of the energy industry in Alberta. I worked in the field for a couple of years before I was able to land an EIT job in Calgary. I just want to give some advice to other people looking to get into the office jobs in the industry. Start in the field. By getting my hands dirty and the field before moving to the office has allowed me to hit the ground running and start my new position with a greater knowledge of the industry. It's also given me more respect with my peers in the oil and gas industry. Would love to hear your thoughts on this path into the energy industry. Thanks for thanks. Keep the black gold flowing from Josh. First time writing in Canada. Yeah, Josh, thanks for writing in and thanks for the review. And you're 100% right. Starting in the field is probably the best way to get to know this industry. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and speaking of reviews like Josh left, we have a new way to leave a review. So if you were outside the Apple world, it was hard to leave a review and our tech team fixed that. So now there's a link in the show notes. It's basically lovethepodcast.com forward slash OGTW for Oil & Gas This Week. And no matter what device you're on, Android, Windows, or Apple, you click on this link and you can leave us a review. So we've made it easier for you. Yeah, so now we get to catch up on all the reviews we've missed that we didn't get to give shout outs for. So that's great. Yeah, yeah. So audience, it's um, for a little while, we were only getting the reviews from the United States Apple podcast instance. And what a lot of people don't know is there's 143 different Apple podcast instances around the world. <laughs> yeah. Now we're starting to get our reviews from overseas. So if we didn't mention your review, apologies, we will catch up and get to them. Right. Well, let's get into the news stories. First one is Sweden seizes evidence at Baltic Sea Pipeline site. Yeah, so this is from the Nord Stream uh, 1, 2, and 3 that was recently had a major leak. We talked about it on a previous show. This is definitely a sabotage operation. Um, I did a little research page. That pipeline is in about 70 meters of water, which okay. is about 230 feet. So it is reachable by divers, but it has to be specially trained divers. So that kind of rules out the eco-terrorism angle. Still don't know who did it, but Sweden had their security division out there. They had the area cordoned off while they did their research and investigation. And although they haven't released anything yet and they don't have an official statement, they have called this a crime scene and they've actually seized evidence. Now, they're still waiting for them to make an evaluation of the evidence. But the blockade that was around the Nord Stream pipeline while they were doing the investigation has now been lifted. Both the governments of Denmark and Sweden say that they had sonic signatures of several hundred pounds of explosives go off at the same time that the gas leak started. And it was actually from four different recording stations. So you have four different groups of people and technology that were able to identify these explosions sonically. 
which then means there's no way it was an accident. Interesting. Well, I guess we'll just have to stay tuned and see what actually happened. Well, actually, that's one more thing. And what's going on right now is the Russian president, Vladimir Putin, is accusing the U.S. of actually doing this sabotage. And I've had a lot of people reach out to me. And quite frankly, number one, our current administration wouldn't do something like this, nor would any of our administrations. And number two, if it was the U.S. decided to sabotage this pipeline, it wouldn't be as obvious as an explosion. It would be something accidental, like a ship drug an anchor across it or a corrosion instance or something. There's no way the U.S. would have botched it, made it obvious it was sabotage. Yeah, I don't think Biden has the cojones anyway. So, all right, onward. Norway inspects subsea gas pipeline after Nord Stream blasts. Yeah, so you dig into this article, and it's not Norway trying to help with the Nord Stream pipeline. This is Norway being worried about all of the subsea pipelines in the North Sea. And so they took it upon itself. They brought a special vehicle to start inspecting all the gas pipelines to and from Germany because of the Nord Stream sabotage. Now, Norway is Europe's largest gas supplier, and it put its energy sector on the highest alert with both their Navy and their Air Force patrolling out there. And what I heard from the grapevine is there's a Marine amphibious assault group that's out there as well as a unit of Navy SEALs. Nice. So this is very serious. They're taking this extremely serious, which they should do. They have a bunch of remote-operated vehicles. They have the military out there. They have the chief executive officer of Reach Subsea, who's actually overseeing these operations, saying they're going to inspect every single inch of every subsea pipeline out there just to make sure there's not any other type of explosives or any type of tampering. So oh, this good. is a really cool thing they're doing to make sure they keep their assets safe, the people safe, and their environment safe. Fantastic. All right. OPEX plus to cut oil production by 2 million barrels per day to shore up prices, defying U.S. pressure. Yeah, I call this. Yeah, you did. Let me tell you what's really happening. So, number one, they're basically giving a thumbs down to our current administration as we head into our midterms, right? Just the perception of this cut has already driven gasoline prices up, which regardless of what political side you're on, if it costs you too much money to fill up your car with gas, you want to vote for a change. Right. Number two, OPEC actually can't produce the amount of oil that it says it's producing. So this cut by 2 million barrels is really only a cut by a million which will bring them to the production number they can actually produce. So this is going to bring them to the very edge of their production capacity right now. This is another ploy by OPEC to make sure they keep the price of crude up, which then puts money into their economy. Exactly. At the same time, they really don't like our current administration in the U.S., and they're doing what they can to make sure that our current administration doesn't get reelected in the midterms. Uh, and they're not doing it for an unselfish reason. They're doing it for a very selfish reason because it benefits OPEC. It also kind of benefits us if they're turning out our current administration. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is the White House had a response and basically saying they're very disappointed in this decision and that President Biden has directed the Department of Energy to release another 10 million barrels from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve next month. Our Strategic Petroleum Reserve is at the lowest level it's been in 25 years. Which is scary. Well, it's vital to our military. We've talked about that before. And by dropping another 10 million barrels, it is dangerously, dangerously low. So if this course continues, where our current administration is using the Strategic Holding Reserve to try to increase supply on the market, which it actually does not do, OPEC is just laughing. They're watching us deplete our strategic holding reserve, knowing that all they have to do is turn the tap up or turn the tap down to influence the market. Yeah. And we left high and dry. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Okay. Next article is Putin orders seizure of Exxon-led Sakhalin-1 oil and gas project. 
Yeah, so Russian President Vladimir Putin signed a degree basically saying that the joint venture between ExxonMobil and the Japanese oil company Sakon, Russia's taking control. Now, this is Exxon's largest investment in Russia. And for 40 years, Exxon has been a strong partner with the Russian oil and gas industry. What happened is when Russia invaded Ukraine, Exxon said, you know what? This is unacceptable. We're pulling out. And this joint venture, they had already put it on the market. Just nobody has bought it yet. Because Exxon's pulling out, they've already removed all of their people, all their expertise, and most of the engineering and production expertise was on the Exxon Mobil side. So now the production of this project has dropped to just 10,000 barrels per day from 220,000 barrels per day. Okay. So back when Exxon and Russia were friends, they were producing 220,000 barrels a day. Now they're only producing 10,000 barrels a day. So the loss of Exxon's engineering expertise shown. This is Russia trying to go head to head with Exxon, and Russia right now can't hardly keep Ukraine contained. Yeah, this is not going to go well for whatever goes on. And yeah, I, I didn't I think so. And I tell you what, hats off to Exxon for doing the right thing and walking away from millions and millions of dollars of revenue. Exactly, exactly. All right, so we have next is shale drillers struggle to find workers as unemployment dropped last month. Yeah, who would have thought that the oil industry couldn't hire after so many layoffs during 2020? But that's exactly what's going on in the shell fields. Oil prices are up. Production needs to go up. The constraint right now in the market, frankly, is our refining capacity. So there's not a lot of incentive to drill new wells. What there is a lot of incentive to do is to start producing from existing wells. But right. if you can't hire people, if you have those labor shortages, it's a huge hurdle trying to grow that production growth. And then, you know, we have this whole negative public perception thing. So a lot of the field workers in oil and gas are either older, much older, and after 2020, they've left, they decided not to come back, or they're younger and they don't have the experience that the older workers have. So this labor shortage is huge. And it looks like that it's going to be another three or four years before we'll be able to staff up to where it was pre-pandemic. How many years? Three or four years they're projecting before we can staff up to pre-pandemic levels in the shell fields. Oh, wow. I didn't expect that. Jeez. Okay. So the next article is France struggles with refinery strikes, but not planning petrol rationing. So speaking of TikTok, I have seen several TikTok videos of all-out fights breaking out at the gasoline stations or what Europe calls petrol stations in France. There's a combination of several of the refineries are down for planned maintenance, which is an outage. And at the same time, there's strikes going on by the employees out there, which is taking some of the other refineries. The end result is there's not enough refined products such as gasoline, diesel, and jet fuel. So the government says they're doing the most they can. There's really not much they can do. So about 25% of all service stations are down. Jeez. Yeah. And then because the union strike for the refineries, you have the trade union, which then is a sister or a brother union to the refineries. They're also honoring the strikes. They're walking out as well. What that's doing, it's taking away the welders, pipe fitters, and machinists it takes to work an outage, which is why some of these refineries are down. So the outage, instead of taking three or four months, it's going to take six months, eight months, maybe a year, right, which right, is going right. to further hurt the ability for the people of France to be able to fill their cars up with fuel. And so what the government is saying is like, look, everybody stay calm, have a sense of responsibility, don't hoard fuel, and we'll get through this. But if they don't do that, they're going to have to actually start rationing fuel. And that's going to lead to huge civil disobedience. Well, if they act anything like any of us Americans, when anything happens, there'll be no toilet paper, no food, no water. So I hope they're a little smarter than that. Yeah, it's a mess. For their sake. 
And it looks like Total Energy's involved. Their chief executive, Patrick Poirier, is there trying to help negotiate a deal. They need to get a deal negotiated quick before this local fighting at the uh, service stations spills out to the streets of France. Man. Oof. Okay, so gas prices in U.S. rise for second week after refineries shut down. Yeah, so a whole bunch of things going on, which is actually causing the price of gasoline at the pump to go up. We have an uptick in crude prices caused by the perception of OPEC cutting production, right? Because the actual cut hasn't actually hit the market yet. We also have an increase in the driving miles, which typically people this time of year are starting to head out toward the holidays, right? which is actually affecting supply. And then we have another big thing. There's a big gap between the future prices, between wholesale and retail prices, and all that on top of it's our season to actually have refinery shutdowns for turnarounds and for planned maintenance. So you add all this together, and the price of the pump is going to continue to go up here, actually the entire U.S., with California probably seeing the worst of it. It's been over $7 a gallon for regular California. I would not be surprised if it hits 9 or $10 a barrel. Okay, so does this also involve the three refineries that had incidents? That unplanned outages, right. Okay. Right? Once again, the refineries are the constraint, and retail gasoline prices are going up because of that. Okay, so oil industry implores Granholm to disavow exports limit after a bitter meeting. So this is Jenner Granholm doing something that she does a lot, which shows her complete ignorance of the energy industry. So what they're doing is they're threatening the refinery saying, look, if you can't bring down retail fuel prices, we're going to uh, do away with your ability to export products. What they don't understand is we don't export gasoline, diesel, or jet fuel. The demand in the U.S. is so high that all of the fuels that we produce stays here in the U.S. What we do export is petrochemicals, xylene, NAPA, polypropylene. That's how the refineries make their money. If our government steps in and says you can't export these products, which the world needs, Number one, then the margins at the refineries and petrochemical plants could go down, which means that some of them will go out of business, which means we'll pull the refineries offline, which means there'll be less fuels for the American people. Mm -hmm. The other thing that's going on is the world needs our petrochemicals to manufacture stuff. Right. right? During a time where inflation is going on. So this is just a blatant tell of how our current political administration not only doesn't understand the oil and gas industry, they don't understand basic economics or the energy industry. And this is ridiculous. They're literally threatening the refineries on retail fuel prices. And the refineries have nothing to do with what you pay at the pump. Right, right. So this is ridiculous. Let's hope it doesn't go that far. Eventually, people are going to understand it has nothing to do with pay at the pump. You're also watching a lot of the Democratic senators who do at least understand supply and demand going, this is foolhardy. Don't do this. Yeah. So we'll keep an eye on this. If they do restrict exports... To the refineries, we're going to have a domino effect that's going to happen literally in three oh, or four yeah. days. And it's a really kick them while they're down kind of thing. Yeah. That's how I feel. Anyway. All right. So the next article is SPE, ATCE. Exxon Mobil Manager says faster CCS development requires hub projects. We were at SPE, ATC, weren't we? Yeah. Yeah. I went the first day. Yeah. It's one of my favorite conferences. So basically, here's Exxon Mobil doing what it does best looking at large, capital-intensive, complex global projects and figuring out how to do it better than anybody else on the planet. So what they're basically saying is this carbon capture and storage approach, the only way it's work at a large scale is to have hubs and spokes. So basically, you'd have storage all over the world, and that storage is typically a depleted oil reservoir, 
And then right. the spokes are all the pipelines that are connecting everything. This way you can pull CO2 out the air and let's say Germany, ship it to the Netherlands and store it in the depleted reservoir in the North Sea. Or you can pull CO2 out of the air and say Mexico City, ship in pipelines to Houston and store it in the ExxonMobil storage development they're doing right here in the chip channel, right? And so if you think about it that way, imagine the world interconnected with transport for carbon dioxide and it tags areas where it can be stored. Now, the reason I think this is genius, and you've heard me say this on the show before, is up until recently, all of the majors and major independents that needed well stimulation would have to buy carbon dioxide off the market to use for well stimulation. Now, our tax dollars are going to go to pay companies like ExxonMobil to develop the infrastructure to pull this carbon dioxide out of the air and then store it in reservoirs. But at the same time, now any operator doesn't need to buy carbon dioxide for well stimulation. It's basically free for the taking, paid for by you and me and everybody in this room. Oh, great. Yeah, I love that. It's interesting. So one of the things that makes me believe this is legit, not just that ExxonMobil's into it and have attached a budget to it, but China's getting into it. So think about what happened. Are you really surprised by that, though? Yeah, but think about what happened before solar and wind took off. Who was spending money building the plants to make the parts you needed for solar and wind? It was China. They saw this economic opportunity coming and they jumped on it. The fact that China's jumping on the CCS stuff just tells me it is a real economic opportunity. Okay, so the next one is Brent likely to hit $100 per barrel by the end of the year. You know, normally I say this is clickbait. This time it's not. We're at $87 right now for WTI. I think at 93 for Brent. We will hit $100 a barrel. I don't think it's going to go much over that. So the gap between the supply and demand globally is starting to be filled. The economy has slowed down. Uh, We're just about right back at 100 million barrels a day that the world has consumed for the last 10 years. And the supply is starting to come back to match that. Once again, though, if our current politics here stay in our way and add costs for us as an industry, those barrels of production won't come from the U.S. They'll come from other parts of the world. And our business here in the U.S. will move to other parts of the world because just it's Which less is risk. very unfortunate. Yeah. So it looks like uh, Fitch is forecasting $105 a barrel for Brent and 101 for WTI. I can see that actually being very legit. They're also talking about how they believe OPEC and OPEC Plus will not be able to deliver on their production numbers, which I've been saying this for years. And what's going on with the Ukraine and the Ukrainians turning the tide against the Russian soldiers, I would not be surprised if Ukraine starts capturing some of the oil fields that historically belonged to them and pulled more Russian production offline, and then they later bring it online as their own. So there's a lot going on, but yep, $100 barrels is going to happen. Well, 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 we've come down to the last article. North Sea oil and gas explorations good for the environment. Social media is screaming over this. All the environmentalists point fingers, but 100% absolutely right. So if Europe starts producing more hydrocarbons in the North Sea, that means they don't have to transport from anywhere. Right there, that's better for the environment. And then the European hydrocarbon molecule is the second cleanest hydrocarbon molecule in the world. So they're producing cleaner hydrocarbons than they're importing oil and gas from Africa. And then the other thing that's going on right now in Europe, which is to me sounds crazy, is people are going back to burning wood to heat their homes oh, and man. actually going back to burning coal, which is not good for the environment at all. So she is absolutely right, or he is absolutely right, that the UK producing its own hydrocarbons is much better for the environment, 100%. And actually, the cool thing about the North Sea is all the geology is well understood as, as well as the production. The ability to ramp up that Brent crude is very easy to do versus having to figure out how to frack, which is mm-hmm. something new. 
in the UK, and it's going to take you a Oh, while that's to- right, because they've had a ban all this time. They lifted the ban, yeah. Yeah, that's right. We talked about this, what, like a month ago, I think. Well, that's it. I think I need to cover the Rick count. So, so audience, like you hear me say this all the time, we now have a chance to advertise with us either on this show or other shows. Just go to OGGN.com, hit pricing. It's really cheap and a great way to reach any audience in the oil and gas industry. And then we still have tickets for our Energy Continuity Conference that's happening in April. We actually had to push it out, page because we made a mistake. Yeah, you did it like what, right after Christmas? <laughs> well, what happened is we figured that January is a good time to do it, but everybody gets their budgets released in January, but they actually really can't. It doesn't hit their P&L to the end of January, so they had no money to buy the tickets or an exhibitor spot. So we good pushed it out to April so that people could buy this would be a great conference. If uh, you go check it out, it's energycontinuityconference.com. All right. You're going to let me do the rig count now? Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> you you interrupted count? me, dude. <laughs> so what's the rig count? Okay. We got a rig count at 762 for the United States. And we're up 229 from last year, which is fantastic. It's a good number. Canada's at 215, up two, up 40s. Eight from last year. Internationally, we are at 879, up 19 from prior account, and up 92 from last year. Yeah, good place. Yep. Speaking of good place, go to LinkedIn. Just type in OGG and sign up for anything that shows up. Just not the software company, right? Make sure it's Oil and Gas Global Network. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. And then while you're online, if you want to ask a question of First Friday Q&A, it's really simple. You either go to oilandgasthisweek.com or OGGN.com is a place for you to submit your questions. And then if you'd like to get my monthly email for free that lists all the oil and gas events, that link will also be in the show notes. And if you want myself to come speak at your event or any of our experts, let me know. We have tons of fun like we're doing right now. Yeah, exactly. So if you want us to bring a live podcast like Oil and Gas This Week to your company event, reach out. We'd be happy to share the details. And I think that's about it. Ready to get out of here? Yeah. So remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.